What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods coming at you with another episode of our Big Ten and 31 Days theme. And we are joined by Patrick Herb. He is the director of brand strategy for the Wisconsin Badgers and the sideline reporter for Wisconsin football. And I just want to give you a shout out, man, for coming on and joining me today. Hey, glad to be here. Uh, it's uh, I'm in basketball season mode right now, so I got to shift my brain to football. But but I like, it's good to talk about football. Spring practice will be starting any day now. Yeah, I, I know it's coming up quick. And, you know, let's shift to the 2020 season. The Badgers finished four and three, a big bowl win. But I don't know if there was a program more affected by COVID than this team. I mean, we saw right out of the gate, everything get shut down. I don't even know if they had a quarterback on their roster without COVID. Did this season fall short, meet, or exceed your preseason expectations? That's a great question. Um, well, I think you got to, before I even answer that, I think you have to go back to figuring out what expectations were. And the the strangeness of the season predates even the games and that first, you know, those first few weeks and when the COVID, you know, COVID shutdown happened, that you, you got to remember the Big Ten canceled football. So that it, during the summer, it was over. There was going to be no season. And so Everybody shifted to, oh my goodness, now what? Like this is, I can't believe this. And then, you know, everything, things kind of changed, improved a little bit. I think that you know things got reassessed, and they they came up with a way to play. And so then, it was kind of like a new perspective. You know, everybody's playing with house money a little bit. That well, we weren't even expected to play at all. So now, whatever we get is a bonus. So I think expectations kind of got recalibrated a little bit. Um, that said. I don't think anybody was satisfied with a four and three season. I mean, not at all. I think that um, the expectations year in and year out at Wisconsin are higher than that. You know, that they, they, they attest and, and expect New Year's six bowls every year. You know, Wisconsin has not made it to the, the championship, you know, or the final four yet. Um, hopefully that's out there that they could be a CFP team one of these years. So that's kind of the next rung on the ladder to climb, but they've been consistently in that New Year Six, playing in Cotton Bowls and playing in Orange Bowls and Rose Bowls, and so that's the expectation. So when you when you go to the Duke's Mayo Bowl, <laughs> it's a little bit it's it's a little bit of a um, I would say that's probably a little bit under expectations, but I, I again I couch that with the expectations were totally different this season, and and so I think. For a lot of for a lot of people around the program, they viewed it as whatever we could play is kind of a gift this season, and ending it with a win over Minnesota, who's kind of the big rival, and you know retaining that Paul Bunyan's axe that's so big and in, in, in that rivalry, and then winning a bowl game, no matter what bowl it is, that was a that put a nice bow on the season at least, and and hopefully it's a springboard to next season. Right. I mean, you talk about the postponement of the season. August eleventh was the date Kevin Warren came out said no football. I believe it was six days after he puts together this conference-only schedule and then reverts back to canceling the season. Was Wisconsin one of the teams fighting back behind the scenes? We heard Nebraska. I mean, we had Greg Sharp on, and he said it strained the relationship. Nebraska was going to play football if they could. Was Wisconsin one of those teams? And what was your reaction to the initial decision? Um. Wisconsin, I believe that we, 
Wisconsin has been pretty conservative in terms of COVID, I would say, as a, as a school, as an institution. I think we've been we've, – we've tried to be pretty responsible about it. So I don't think Wisconsin was one of the voices really pushing for a season. I think that, you know, Barry Alvarez is a very influential voice in that room. And he's, you know, he's a former football coach. So the football season is sacred to him. So I think he really wanted to have a season. And it, he was he was crushed when it was canceled. I mean, he would, he he said as much that he he had a sick feeling in his stomach when, when the decision was made. But he understood it. He really did. And so Wisconsin wasn't one of the vocal ones. I know Nebraska and Ohio State were probably the two most outspoken. Um, but I know that Barry Alvarez wanted to have a season and, and, and he wanted it for the guys. You know, his grandson is on the team. It's a, it's a finite amount of seasons that these guys have when they're in college. And if you take one of them away, you know, that's, that's a, that's a, it could be 20, you know, 25% of their college experience. So it was important to, to, to try to find a pathway forward. And he was on the committee, if you remember, to figure out the scheduling and how to make this work. And, and so what is the path back to having a season? So he was very influential in that um, kind of representing Wisconsin. Um, my initial reaction was disappointment, certainly. Um, and I was not, I didn't disagree with it necessarily. Like I understood where it was, what it was rooted in that. That was a, at the time, nobody had really pulled off much of a successful season that was in a bubble, you know? And so I, it was, it was hard to imagine um, doing a football season safely, but I'm, I'm grateful for what they were able to pull off. And, and, and now college basketball has, has taken that and done even, done even better. You know, the Badgers here, we, we, Wisconsin played 27 games. Like that's, I'm surprised. I, I would have guessed we. Right. I would have thought 20 to 22 would have been a would have been a successful season. They got in all 27. Yeah, it's huge. But you know, I want to shift on the field stuff. We saw the Badgers losing arguably might might be one of the greatest running backs in college football history, and Jonathan Taylor. They're replacing it. They had freshman Jalen Berger come in. That they they never seem to have that it guy though down the stretch. Looking ahead. Who are you tabbing it's, that has the potential to be the next great Wisconsin running back? I think Jay, I think Jalen Berger's got the skills. I do. I think he's got he's a different runner than than Jonathan Taylor. He does not have the maybe the high end explosive speed. He runs a little more upright, maybe a little bit closer to um, the way Melvin Gordon runs the ball. You know, a little more upright than than JT. Um, I don't want to put Melvin Gordon expectations on him because he, again, he was one of the most decorated running backs in college football history. Yeah. So I don't want to put that out there, but he, he, I think he's got a chance to be special. I really do. Um, but you, I don't know. It's so hard to say um, because we didn't even think, no one knew Jonathan Taylor was going to be anything close to what he was. He was a, right. a good recruit, but he wasn't a, he wasn't a five-star by any means. He came in as a freshman and was down on the depth chart. And then he had a couple practices that fall camp of his freshman year where anybody watching goes, Whoa, this guy's different. I remember he took a, he took a, a, a short swing pass about five yards across the line of scrimmage, came over the middle to swing pass and took it 70 yards to the house. Like we been through guys. And, and that was one of the first plays where people you look at it and you go, okay, he's different. <laughs> he's, he's got, he's got a different gear that this kid's going to see the field right away. But prior to that, going into fall camp, his freshman year, I don't even think he was part of the plan. And then, right. and then he ended up having a, a, an incredible freshman year where he almost ran for 2,000 yards. So, 
Um, I, I've, I've learned, especially at Wisconsin, where they have such a great success of running backs and have such an incredible offensive line that makes the running backs often makes the running backs so good to never, never like discount anybody, never, never say uh, that guy doesn't look like he's got it. So a guy like, you know, guys like Nakia Watson and um, and some of the freshmen that are coming in this year. I don't know. I, I just I just sit back and wait for it to unfold. I try not to predict. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that offensive line is all, like you could count on Wisconsin having good offensive linemen, but the quarterback position was an interesting one this year. Jack Cohen mm-hmm. goes down with injury. Now he's transferred out. Graham Mertz steps up. My co-host who's taking a leave right now, he thought Graham Mertz was arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the country. He is the biggest Graham Mertz fan, so I promised him I'd ask you about him. What sure. do you think about Mertz as a quarterback, and what are your expectations for him moving forward? I have high expectations for him, actually. I think he's I think he's a difference maker. His freshman year was a little bit up and down, and he would he would admit that too. And, and expectations have been high on him since he got to Wisconsin. You know, the Badgers traditionally don't bring in big time names at the quarterback position. You know, Russell Wilson is the clear exception. He was a transfer from right. NC State, and and he kind of broke the mold. Wisconsin has had has made a made a very successful living off of guys like Scott Tolzien. You know where. They end up having a pro career, but probably as a backup, and, and they, they really get by on being extremely smart and cerebral, very accurate passer, very good at leading. You know, I, I hate the term system quarterback or game manager. I, I, I hate to say that because I think it's a little bit demeaning to the player that, it, you know, these are skilled quarterbacks, but they're not, they're often not first team all conference caliber, right? Or, or guys that, you look at it at the end of the day and go, wow, they won because he threw for 320, 350 yards. So, but, but Mertz being a highly, highly recruited, you know, quarterback has kind of stepped on campus immediately with different expectations. And, and I think a lot was thrust on him early, you know, that with Jack Cohn going down, that it was, they turned it over to Mertz maybe quicker than they had imagined as a program, but he handled it really well. He's got, he's got, he's got an it factor, that you can't coach. So he's got he's got confidence and moxie. He's a really good leader. His teammates really like him and they rally around him. He's got a big arm. He's not the most mobile quarterback, but but he but he's smart and he can he can he's a playmaker. He's he's a little bit of a got a little bit of a gunslinger mentality. I think that that he didn't even show this year because I think he was trying to limit mistakes um, and did a decent job of that. But. The other thing you have to consider about his his year is the is the problems that Wisconsin had at wide receiver and the injuries that they had and and the the targets that he was was throwing to. I mean, Jake Ferguson at tight end, really reliable top end tight end who's got a future on Sundays, was was a consistent threat all season. But beyond that, his wide receiver depth. You know, they lost Danny Davis, Kendrick Pryor, and um, for most of for almost all the season. And um, so to be able to, he was throwing to a bunch of former walk-ons and freshmen, to be honest. So I, I do think that had some impact on his ability to, you know, make plays and, and put up big stats. And then he had COVID. He had COVID early on the season. I think that affected him. I think he talked about it, that he, you know, some people, COVID hits people in different ways. And some people have very mild to, to no symptoms. He had some, you know, and he was open about that, that, that it, it, it put him down for a little bit. And, you know, thankfully he, he recovered fully, but I think that was part of his freshman story too. Um, but I have high hopes for him. I really do. I think, I think, like I said, I think he's a difference maker at that position. 
Your co-host yeah, is smart. Yeah, he's he said <laughs> he said he said when healthy Graham Mertz is a Heisman contender. That's how high he is on Mertz. So he he's he's he screamed even last year behind Jack Cohen that Wisconsin has to start Graham Mertz to be good. He's been on that on that train for a while. But is he from Kansas City or something? That's where Graham oh. Mertz is from, Kansas City. No. No, he is from he, – he lives in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and is a diehard LSU fan. He just okay. loves Mertz as a quarterback. He he said that he wished Mertz would, was at LSU, which they got some quarterback issues there right now. So, uh, but, you know. The interesting, the interesting note about you know, Jack Cohn transferring, so he went to Notre Dame, and Wisconsin is scheduled to play Notre Dame this season in Soldier yeah. Field. So that that is setting up for some great theater in that game that if, if Cohn wins the starting job there to – to face his old team, but there, there's no ill will there. Jack Cole, great, great kid, great leader. Um, understood that he needed a new opportunity, and I think the program understands it too. So it won't be a oh, I, I, there's animosity there, but, but it would make for some interesting theater if, if he's the starting quarterback for that game. Yeah, that's huge, and I, I think you even saw that with like the Jalen Hurts transfer. With the transfer portal being so active, you know you're going to lose players. You can't mm-hmm. fault a kid for doing what's best for his career. And Notre Dame had a big opening. Ian Book leaving might be one of the biggest losses for a team in the country. But looking at head coach Paul Chris, he's, inter- he's entering his seventh year now, never finished lower than third in the division, which was this year in a COVID year. And he's tied or outright won the division three times. What does he mean to the program? And how has he been so successful as the head coach of the Badgers? Paul Christ knows exactly who he is. He knows exactly who, what the program is and what the program values and its, its core values. And he unapologetically leans into both of those things. So he is not, he is not the rah-rah guy that's going to win a press conference. He's not the car salesman that's going to get, you know, get the recruits because he's got this, you know, this, slick sales proposal. He also understands where Wisconsin's bread is buttered, that to, to sacrifice the things that have gotten Wisconsin to this level as a program, you know, the, the winning in the, winning the trenches, winning both lines of scrimmage, uh, running the ball, taking care of the ball, you know, developing from the inside out, the walk-on program, uh, developing in-state Wisconsin talent, like finding these, finding these, under-recruited offensive linemen that turned into first-round draft picks. And he's leaned into all of that because he came up through it. You know, he's, he's, he's a Madison kid who went to school. Madison's a kid. He's not a kid. He's older than me. But he's a Madison native who went to school at UW, played at UW, and has now come back. And, and he understands the anthropology you know, of Wisconsin. And, and he's got a personality that is super genuine. Right. And the players love that. They feed off that. So he's not I, I don't mean any of that as a criticism when I say he's not the 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 salesman in the in the recruiting process or he's not the rah-rah guy. He he is successful because he does it his own way. And and the and the play he's a he's not a player's coach, but the players love him. They really do. They play hard for him and um, they have great respect for him because he's true to who he is. He's never gonna be uh, try to pretend that he's something other than himself. And so I respect that a lot. I think he's a perfect fit for Wisconsin. And, you know, Wisconsin went through 
once when Brett Bielamo had a terrific run at Wisconsin, when he left to go to Arkansas, Gary Anderson replaced Brett Bielema for two seasons. And, and Gary Anderson was a hire outside of the, the tree, if you will. He was a little bit out of left field that he had come from Utah state, didn't have a connection to the big 10, didn't have a connection to Wisconsin. And, and Wisconsin was successful for those two seasons under Anderson. Um, but Anderson leaving to go to Oregon state was probably mutually beneficial in that, that Anderson, some of the things that he wanted to do at Wisconsin um, were different than the anthropology of the program, I would say. And so, so he wanted, he found a different opportunity where he could do some things he wanted to do. And, and, and it allowed Wisconsin to go back and get Paul Chris from Pitt and continue that anthropology. This, the same bedrock that the program has been built on for almost 30 years now, Barry Alvarez came in 1989 and they, started seeing success in 92, <clears throat> excuse me, so 30, almost 30 years now, that bedrock is what Paul Chris has taken and excelled with that, with that same, like, ideology. Right. And, you know, you say he's not a salesperson, but he just signed the number 15 class in the country, according to 247. National Signing Day wrapped up last month. You talk about O-line, Y'all got some O-linemen, three top 150 recruits, all over 6'7", all over 290 <laughs> at 18 Monsters. years old. Those are not anyone you just want to walk up to in an alley somewhere because those are some big kids. But what were the biggest positional needs for the Badgers, this recruiting class? And what are your thoughts on just this class as a whole as they start arriving to campus? Yeah, I think you make a good point, and I'm glad you did, about the fact that he isn't a salesman for recruiting, but he is a good recruiter. I think we, you're right in that the recruiting, particularly over the last two, three seasons, has has increased in terms of rankings, if you will. And right. I don't know. I, I don't get too caught up in that. I really don't. And because Especially at a program like Wisconsin, that it, it traditionally hasn't mattered, right? Wisconsin's, Wisconsin's blueprint has not been to chase the four- and five-star kids, and they've – they've, instead try to sprinkle some of those in with with the the walk-ons who who become great players you know and, and or the three-star undervalued kids you know they often as a recruiting pitch they often talk about trying to get kids who chose football that didn't have football choose them so philosophically if, if you may I'll explain that even a little more so there's a lot of kids who are really good at football because they're just naturally gifted and talented. And that's their, that's their opportunity to play at a high level and get a scholarship and maybe make a living off doing it. Then there are kids who went out of their way to say, well, I'm a decent athlete, but I love football. And so I'm going to make myself a great football player. And those are the kids who chose football. And believe me, you can be really successful with a team full of kids who football chose them. I mean, there's Wisconsin would love to get as many five stars as they can, but that's often a recruiting philosophy of finding those kids who chose football. And so, but now what you're starting to see over the last two, three recruiting classes, they're, they're still getting those kids who they think are the undervalued three stars that are going to develop into, into NFL players. But then they're starting to sprinkle in a little more of the four and five stars and, and, if you could do that successfully and, and integrate that in, in, and raise the overall maybe athleticism, overall speed of the program, now you're talking about being in that same class as 
the teams competing for the CFP every year. And Wisconsin's been right there. I mean, they're right on that edge, like I said before, of, of playing in January six bowls, but January one bowls, but not CFP caliber. You start mixing in the speed athleticism of those four or five stars with the bedrock that you've already got. Now, now you're knocking on that door. And so I, I, I'm optim, you know, I'm a homer, right? I'm, I'm, I'm part of the, I'm part of the program, but I think that they're, I think that they're getting closer to that. I, I do. And I think the last few seasons have been important in that way. Right. And I mean, I think you see that. I mean, the whole Big Ten, there, there's like a big second group right there behind Ohio State that are really right. on the come up that are just like one step away. But when Ohio State's landing perfectly rated recruits every single year and they have 10 of them, it's just so hard to compete. There's a little different class. Yeah. Exactly. As an Auburn fan, I get it watching Georgia and Alabama do what they do. But I, I want to shift to next season. I mean, we we see some young guys coming in. They, you guys lost some starters. Who are some players we might not know about right now that you think could break out and really shine next year? Uh, well, it's you know, it's interesting. I, I think Wisconsin had a few players come back that are, that were maybe a little bit surprising. I, I think I think the tight end Jake Ferguson, who he he's a name. I think people know who he is. That's not necessarily, wouldn't necessarily be a, a a sleeper that people haven't heard of. But I, I think his best football is in front of him. I think I think he's an NFL tight end. I really do. Um, and I'm not just saying that because his grandfather is my boss. But he, I think, I, I do think that the the Graham Mertz Ferguson connection could be really potent. And I, I think I think he could take a, a big step up. I think there's a couple offensive linemen that are that are young, just monsters, and that that might get an opportunity, like guys named like Logan Brown, Jack Nelson. Um, potentially some of these freshmen that came in, Trey Wittig is another one. And then, and then some true freshmen that are, that are just getting on campus this summer or this spring. Um, so the offensive line, I think is going to be as deep as Wisconsin's had in a long time, but, but offensive line doesn't, it doesn't sell newspapers. You know, that's not, that's not, that's not the flashy. Um, that's not the flashy one. I, uh, it'll be interesting to see the running back position. You asked earlier about who's the next great running back and, and I think for Wisconsin to be elite, they're going to want to find not necessarily a, a, a workhorse running back because they don't they don't need a guy to carry it 200 times necessarily. But but it'd be nice to have a feature back, a game changer. And so can Jalen Berger be that is a question. I think linebacker Nick Herbig, he, he played as a true freshman this year as an outside linebacker from Hawaii, four-star kid that was a pretty big recruit, pretty good big get for Wisconsin. Um I think he is a star. I think he is a superstar in the making. And, and he's a guy that, you know, Wisconsin's had a really good outside linebacker legacy recently of guys, you know, like TJ Watt is probably the most recognizable one now because he's turned himself into one of the best NFL players on the defensive side of the ball. But there's a, there's a pretty long list of, of outside linebackers over the last six, seven years having a lot of NFL success. And he projects to be the next one of those. It's just a really athletic, versatile, great instincts, uh, at the outside linebacker position, um, and then I, I think that there's a couple corners, uh, a couple cornerbacks like Fayon Hicks, Caesar Williams, that that have a athleticism to be able to play at the next level. Also, that Wisconsin's Wisconsin's defense is going to be nasty again. That's 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 a that's a calling card of this program the last few years, and they're going to be and they're going to be nasty. And, and I one thing that they haven't necessarily been is big ball hawking you know, taking the ball away, playmaking defense. They've been like kind of, we're just, we're just going to make it hard for you to move the ball. 
as opposed to big impact turnover plays. I think that might increase this season. I think there's a couple playmakers on that back end um, that might emerge a little bit with with interceptions and big plays in that. Right. I mean, and you know, based on this schedule, man, which I think is manageable, I see I see Wisconsin mm-hmm. having a very, very good shot to win this division again. There are some tough games against Penn State, Notre Dame along the line. Michigan, I don't really know. It depends on what they do with the quarterback yeah. position there. But you know, with these potential breakout players with this schedule, what do you think the ceiling and or floor could be for this twenty twenty one team? Well, what's interesting about the, all the teams that you named that Wisconsin's got those games, they're all at home. Yeah. Penn State, home. Iowa, home. Michigan, home. Nebraska, I don't know if Nebraska's, you know, maybe that's just a reputation thing from previous names, but they're at home. Yeah. So with Wisconsin's toughest game, other than Notre Dame, that one's a, but again, that one's, that's a neutral game at Soldier Field. And, yeah. and that the tickets are going to be split pretty evenly that, 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 won't feel like a road game by any means. There'll be a ton of red in that stadium. So be, because, be one, because I think Wisconsin's going to have a pretty good team. But two, the, the schedule is, is favorable. They don't have Ohio State, and they don't have road games against some of the perennial powers of the conference. That I think the, I think the ceiling's really high. I really do. I, 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 hate, to, I hate to talk about the floor, <laughs> um, but even in, even in a down season for Wisconsin, I, it's hard to see. It's hard to envision more than three losses. You know, I, yeah. I, I think that I, I don't get into Vegas odds at all, and, and, and I, I try to avoid it as much as I can, even looking at that kind of stuff. But, but if the over-under for Wisconsin wins next year is not pretty high, eight and a half, nine, I'd be surprised. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I think I think they could definitely make a run for a Big Ten title. Ohio State's replacing a quarterback, probably going to be starting a young kid, C.J. Stroud. So that's going to be interesting. But, man, last question here. I haven't made it to a game. Camp Randall is very high on my list of stadiums I want to come see a game at. What makes the environment of Madison, Camp Randall Stadium, such a unique environment on game days? Well, you do need to get up there. So you're down in SEC country. How many how many SEC yeah. stadiums have you been to? Oh, almost almost all of them. Um, almost all of them. So yeah, yeah, and we what's have. Your a, favorite, what's your favorite? Not named. Uh, not not named Auburn. Ah man, as uh, as hard as is is. Shocking as it might be, I really think Georgia and what they're doing over there in Athens, that is probably the loudest stadium I've been to because I was there for the Tennessee game where they hit the Hail Mary against Georgia. And people forget Mm -hmm. right before that, they hit a Hail Mary type play. And, man, it was deafening. And shockingly, Ole Ole Miss is really high up there too. Ole Miss was an amazing environment. And they they showed up for that game, and they were not very good when when I went. But they packed it out. They were they were extremely loud, and that might be the most beautiful campus I've ever been to. I've heard that. I've actually never been to a SEC home game. Wisconsin, Wisconsin. I don't even know the last time that Wisconsin played at an SEC team. They've play, played LSU and, uh, and Alabama in neutral site games over the last few years, but and yeah. obviously some bowl games. But uh, that's on my bucket list to get down into some of those. So, but but shifted as an SEC fan, you understand that. What, what one of the things that makes SEC football so special is the same thing that Big Ten football does. Is that it? Much to your point of Ole Miss, the stadium being electric and the fans turning out for a game, even when their team wasn't very good. The Big Ten sees that too. That Penn State had a down year, 
but they're still putting, you know, but they could, they could down period they had, right. But they're still putting a hundred thousand people in that venue. And we see it in football and basketball in the conference that, you know, thankfully Wisconsin hasn't had many down years, but I promise that if Wisconsin did, we'd still be having 70 to 80,000 people in an 80,000 seat stadium. And, and one of the reasons that Madison and Camp Randall in particular is so, is so special is that the game is important, but the party is maybe more important or the, the social gathering, you know, there, I, I talked about the anthropology of Wisconsin football and the legacy that, and the bedrock that that's built on the game day environment and camp Randall stadium, the anthropology of Badger fans with that is built on It's interesting too. And, and you may not know some of the history. So prior to Barry Alvarez, Wisconsin football was terrible. I mean, it was, we're talking two wins two you know, two and nine seasons, one and 10. That's a really, really lean decades. And even with those, Camp Randall was jumping and, and it was a, and it was an event and the student section was a, just a chaos and people would come just for the environment because the football prize, they didn't, they wouldn't care. So there's a fifth quarter band concert where the band takes over the field and plays this wild fifth quarter and people would have more fun and pay more attention to the fifth quarter than they would the games. So <laughs> there's this, there's this anthropology of, of doesn't matter what happens on the field. We're going to come and it's the biggest family reunion uh, you know, every Saturday and the people in my section are all, I know them because I've been sitting with them for years. And then all of a sudden the team got good and got really good. And that, that, and that environment and that social element of like the culture of just being there for a good time. And the pregame starts the night before and the postgame goes long after that all stayed but then all of a sudden you piled on a really good team and a really good program. And now you've got this perfect storm of there's no place you'd rather be on, on, on Saturdays than camp panel. So, so that makes it really fun. Another, like the other thing that's super unique about it is camp Randall stadium is plunked right down in the middle of a neighborhood, similar to what Lambeau field and the charm of Lambeau field in green Bay, Wisconsin is, is that that camp Randall is that too. It's on the edge of the campus and right in the middle of a neighborhood. And so there's no parking. The parking is hard. you got to find like these satellite lots. There's one ramp right next door, but if you're not a high donor, you can't get in there anyway. So <laughs> people, are parking, people are parking in the yards of the houses and people are, you know, I think people make thousands of dollars selling off the grass in front of their house. And then tailgating just spans all over the, you know, the one mile radius in every direction because it's, there is no general big parking lot and people love to tailgate in Wisconsin. So Brewers games at Miller park, huge, huge parking lot. And so people tailgate and it's all right there. Camp Randall, it's all over the place. You just walk through neighborhoods and walk around the streets. And, and there's just this, there's just this communal party of music and brats and grill smoke and beer bongs and all of these things like mixing together that the game is like, yeah, we'll, we'll go into the game. That'll be great. But I'm here for the, I'm here for the pregame and the postgame as much as anything. And so there's a, there's a, there's a charm in that that is unique, you know, where they, where it isn't right. this giant stadium plunked in a huge parking lot. It's this giant stadium plunked in this, in this, little community. And that's, that's a really cool element that, that Camp Randall has and makes it, it makes it unique. 
Right, and I, I agree with that. I'm at K-State now and the graduate program here, and their stadium is just in a parking lot randomly off the side of the road. And I'm like, uh, it gives you a spot to tailgate, but coming from Auburn, ours is right in the middle of campus. Like my classes, every single class I had, you could just about see the stadium from the window of whatever classroom sure. you were in. And so uh, there's places to tailgate, like you said, miles radius. So Big Ten compared to Big 12, a lot different. SEC compared to Big 12, a, a very different depending on where you are. But, man, I had a blast. I love talking football. Wisconsin is one of the most interesting programs year in and year out. And so we appreciate you coming on. Where can our fans find you? Anything you want to plug? I know you're covering the basketball team right now, so that should be a blast. But I'm going to give you some time to let us know, let our listeners know where they can find you. Yeah, I mean, I I, I appreciate that. I, had, I enjoyed it too. If you ever get up to Madison, Zach, you got to let me know. And, For sure. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure you have a good time. Uh, but that's not hard to find a good time at Madison. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if people are interested in following the Badgers, we're, 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 we'll take all comers. If some of these SEC fans want a Big Ten to root for, we're not we're not like the evil empire like Ohio State. We're kind of no. the, we're kind of the quirky, plucky, you know, hardworking team up in up in Wisconsin. So we got room for we got room for many bandwagon fans that want to that want to have a Big Ten team to root for. Uh, you know, our, our social media accounts are at Badger Football uh, and at Badger MBB is our basketball one. Uh, those are kind of our sports-specific ones. And, and our, our social media team does a great job of, of bringing access inside the program and, and showing off the personalities that, that make Wisconsin unique and, the, and, the, and those atmosphere, you know, culture characteristics that make game day so cool. Um, so I appreciate you letting me, me plug those, but we're, we're, we're open to all SEC fans. <laughs> oh, man. I, I love it. Like I said, my co-host is a diehard LSU fan living in Baton Rouge. He calls himself on the podcast the honorary Wisconsin fan. So, so Did he he's, come he's up to Lambeau? Following. Did he um, come up to Lambeau when LSU played uh, Wisconsin and Green Bay a couple years ago? I, I don't think so. Um, he, he didn't come up there yet. He's a season ticket holder now, but we were still um, – I'm assuming I don't remember what year it was. We were either just out of high school or he was probably still in college down at the University yeah. of Mobile. So we, but me and him have talked about we have stadiums on our list. We had I actually had tickets to Clemson Notre Dame last year. COVID Ugh. wiped everything out. So I have a lot of stadiums on my list. I'll be I'll be in Penn State this year though because Auburn goes up to Penn State and I promised myself. Yeah, I promised myself I would never miss that game and. I have a lot of Big Ten schools on my list now. Now that I'm in Kansas, it's kind of driving distance to a few of them. So I have a lot of sure. plans to hit some Big Ten stadiums. Absolutely, yeah. There's there's a lot of great ones, a lot of huge, a lot of huge stadiums in the Big Ten. But that that game at Lambeau is will be one of the ones that I always remember. Wisconsin won in dramatic fashion against a really good LSU team, um, yeah. and it, it's and but I remember the the. LSU fans too, how memorable it was, and you know they they brought their band and their their band marched around in the pregame outside the stadium, kind of did like a little parade, and and they you know there was a string of RV campers coming up from coming up from the south southeastern part of the country, just driving all the way up to Green Bay because that was a that was certainly bucket list type of game for for okay. an LSU fan to to be able to not only not only play the Badgers, which doesn't happen that often, but to beat see Lambeau Field which is like a you know that's a palace in itself so oh, yeah. uh, that, that, I don't know if, I don't know when the next time that's going to happen but but hope, <laughs> I hope it does because we were supposed to play Notre Dame there this year in yeah. Lambeau and, and COVID canceled that one it was that was a two-year in Lambeau last year and then Soldier Field this year and and by the grace of God we'll get uh, we'll get normal football with with full yeah. stadiums this fall I hope 
Man, I, I hope. I have a lot of plans, but I appreciate you joining me, man. Guys, this is a wrap. Make sure to f- find Patrick. Make sure to follow the Badgers through the tournament and this fall for football. But we are out for myself, for Patrick, for the Blue Bloods. We are out.